So today what I want to share with you is a very, very familiar passage from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, reading from verse 25 on. And we know this passage. It says, at that time, now this is happening after he has, uh, you know, in verse 20, he says, woe to the unrepentant cities. And now he is, you know, he is coming and saying, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, or I praise you, Father, or I acknowledge you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children or childlike disciples. He is talking to his disciples. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will or your good pleasure. All things have been handed over to be me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And then the famous verse, it says, Come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. May God uh, open his word to us this afternoon. So he begins this passage by saying, and he, set, he is setting this first few verses to show his person and his authority. So he is starting off by saying at that time, what did he declare? I thank or I acknowledge or praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. He is a creator, the uni you know, the master of the universe. He is Lord, he is God, that you have hidden these things. These things is you have hidden yourself. You have hidden the way of salvation. You know, nobody can know God. That's basically what it says. You have hidden these things from one group of people and you have chosen to reveal yourself to another group of people. And he says, I praise you for it. So this is how it says. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So the distinction here is between those who are self-sufficient, who deem themselves as wise, as against those who are dependent and love to be taught. So the distinction here is between those who think they're self-sufficient, they're wise, and those who are dependent and love to be taught. God remains the one who reveals and conceals. You take it anyway. I read a few commentaries. You take it anyway. The fact of the matter is, it is God who reveals himself or conceals himself from people. And Jesus praises his Father for revealing the riches of the good news of the kingdom to the one and hiding it from the other. 
Isn't that amazing? It is one of those beautiful, you know, autobiographical uh, statements about our Lord. He is thankful to a God who chooses to reveal and conceal himself. And he is okay with that. And that is what it goes on to say. What does it say? Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will, or such was your good pleasure. And Jesus says, whatever pleases the Father pleases me. Now there is a lesson for us right there. We may not understand all the intricacies and all that happens in life and the whys. We don't have the why of all the, means, you know, the answer to the why of all the questions that, is, that exist in our life. But are we able to say, God, I can trust you. Whatever pleases you, pleases me. It means... Tomorrow, I may become poor. I may become very rich. I may be sick. I may be very healthy. I do not know the reasons for that. Why someone should be afflicted with cancer? Or why someone should have such great health who doesn't even know the Lord? I don't have the answers for that. But am I okay with that? Am I, like Jesus, able to say, whatever pleases you, So here Jesus is saying, you know, praises his father for revealing the riches of the good news of the kingdom to one and hiding it from the other. Yes, father, for such was your gracious will. Whatever pleases the father pleases God. But there's always a but. And that is what is astonishing. That is what is astonishing. Now, this you would talk in terms of predestination, but it has to be looked at the background of God's grace. The, the astonishing fact about this is, who are the recipients of... See, we acknowledge the fact that God acts in mercy and in judgment. So to some, he reveals himself. To the others, he chooses to conceal himself. So a, it is established fact that God acts in mercy to whom he chooses to reveal himself, and he acts in judgment to whom he chooses not to reveal himself. God is not unfair in doing that because all of us deserve to die. Because we all are sinners. So if he shows mercy on some, it is his goodness. And if he chooses not to show himself to some, you deserve what you deserve. So no one can come back to God and say, you have not been fair. But at the same time, you have to look at it against a counterpoint of it, or which makes it amazing, is who are the recipients of God's mercy and who are the recipients of God's judgment? The astonishing thing about God's activity is not that God acts in both mercy and judgment, but who are the recipients of that mercy and judgment? Those who pride themselves in understanding divine things are judged. Those who are self-sufficient, who think they are self-sufficient, who think they are wise in their own ways, who are independent or who are arrogant and prideful in thinking that I understand the divine things, they are the ones who are judged. To them, he doesn't reveal himself. He conceals himself. But 
who is it that he reveals to it is those who don't understand anything and are eager to be taught see you have to look at it in that way god chooses we know that god chooses to be merciful to some and to some he comes in judgment but the astonishing fact is who are the recipients of god's mercy and who are the recipients of god's judgment the recipients of god's judgment are people who think they have it all together they are independent they don't need god they understand god they are arrogant in their own ways and god chooses to reveal himself to those who are dependent and eager to be taught you know this is not just true of believers and believers this is not just true of people whom god has chosen to reveal himself and to about those whom he has not who to whom he has concealed himself it is also true with us i pray to god that no one among us will come to a point where we say i know you know a good teacher first and foremost has to be a good student like a good leader has to be a good follower the day you and i become arrogant enough to say that i understand and are not open to the instruction of god's word and the day we think that the community of god is not needed to understand the word of god believe me god will choose to stop working in your life and leave you to the to the path that you have chosen and we are seeing it happen over and over and over again people who have started good people who have come to a point where they say we understand we know we don't need anyone where have they ended look at christendom look at the many people you know in our own times who have left the truth for the untruth it's strange that somehow god doesn't stop that from happening but most of the time his tender mercies and his grace is always always inviting us back so it is good to be humble so verse 26 says yes father for such was your gracious will so basically it has always been god's gracious will to resist the proud and give mercy or grace to the humble it is always been god's gracious will to resist the proud and give grace to the humble so i pray that you know we will not take the community lightly uh, if you study church history you will find that the church fathers strongly believed in one thing and that is you understand the word of god in the community of god's people where there are no cowboys you know there are only sheep who likes to stay together in the church of god we need each other to learn we need each other to sharpen our understanding we need each other you know to understand what god is saying we need each other the moment you think in your mind that i don't need another to understand the things of god you are walking a dangerous path let's go on verse 27 what does it say 
all things have been handed over to be me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him what is happening here is he, jesus is talking about the person and authority of you know he, himself it talks about the enclosed world of the father that the son and the son that is open to others only by the revelation provided by the son if you look at the book of matthew you will find that in the first 10 chapters you will find that jesus establishes himself as the last word on what the old testament has to say he then goes on to establish himself as the master of nature you know he has command over the waters of the sea he can he is the lord of the demons he casts out demons he is the lord of the nations you know he says woe to the different cities he is the lord of you know he is the lord of the universe so slowly the progression is jesus is establishing his power and authority over nature over the old testament over all of those things and now he is establishing his authority interesting now listen to this very carefully he is telling that it is not just that he can forgive sins but it is he who decides whose sins he will forgive i want you to listen to this here what is happening is he is telling that i have the authority to forgive sins but at the same time i have the authority to decide whose sins will be forgiven if you and i are recipients of god's forgiveness it's because of his great mercy it's because of his great mercy if god is the one who reveals and conceals himself from us it is done through the agency or medium of the son the lord jesus christ we saw in verse 25 and 26 what is that that you have hidden these things from the wise and revealed them to the so it is god who conceals god who reveals and conceals himself but how does he do it he does it through the agency of his son because god the father has given the authority to the son to reveal him to some and to conceal him from the others and we know we have to you we have to contrast it with whom he chooses to reveal and with whom he chooses to conceal Jesus is the exclusive agent of this revelation bringing God to humans. The son reveals the father to those whom he from time to time wills. The father authorizes the son to reveal or not to reveal according to his will. The son reveals the father not to gratify the learned curiosity or reinforce the self-sufficiency of the arrogant but to bring the little children to know the father to introduce the weary to the rest. or to save his people from their sins the son's revelation of the father goes forth with the invitation and that is what we see the invitation is not to the powerful but to the weak the invitation is not to the arrogant but to the humble it is not to the ones who keep the law but to those who have come to see what the law has to teach and what does the law has to teach it is how far we have fallen short of the glory of god it is to them the next verse apply what does it say come to me all who labor 
and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see? Verse 25, Jesus is very clear. God chooses to reveal himself to some, conceal himself to the others, but he does that revealing and concealing to the people, so he shows his mercy to those who are dependent and eager to be taught. He conceals himself from the self-sufficient, the arrogant, who deems to be wise in their own ways. And how does he choose to reveal or conceal himself? It is through the agency of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. The son will, you know, from time to time, according to his good pleasure and his will, he reveals the father or he conceals the father. Again, depending not to satisfy the curiosity of the arrogant or the, to boost our self-sufficiency, but he reveals the son to those who are dependent and eager to be taught. And to them he comes and says, Come, come unto me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, the call is to come unto the Father? No, come unto me. And who is going to give you the rest? I will give you rest. See that Jesus is establishing his authority. It is one of the most beautiful Christological passages which talks about his deity, his equality with the Father. He is God. He is saying, you come to me. And I will give you rest. You know, Jesus is not calling us to some kind of teaching or some kind of, you know, lifestyle. Yes, there is a lifestyle which is called Christian lifestyle. But he's not basically calling you to that. Do you know what he's calling you to? He is calling you to himself. You take away Christ and Christianity crumbles down. People have done that. The moral teaching of the Bible. Gandhi will tell you, what a wonderful thing. You know, if the Bible teaches such amazing things. But those things are amazing only when Christ is the foundation. Jesus is calling people to himself. It is not some te to some teaching or a way of life. The call is to the person of Christ. Call, Jesus is calling his people to himself. The invitation is to come to Jesus. For those who will take on the invitation, what is promised? I will give you rest. Jesus offers his immediate, personal, effectual rest to all who will come to him by faith. Now what is this rest that Jesus offers? It is a rest of salvation. It is a rest of one's conscience from the guilt and burden of sin. Jeremiah 31 and verse 25, it says, I'll satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I'll replenish. Actually, here you have a lot of Old Testament allusion. Basically, he, in Jeremiah 6, Jeremiah 31, and all of those verses, you know, it's basically there's a lot of Old Testament scriptures here. Verse 29, he goes on to say, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, this is very interesting. So there is a rest which is given. What does it say? It is, verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So there's a rest which is given. And then what does it say? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will 
find rest for your soul. So there is a rest which is given, and there's a rest which you and I have to find. A rest that is ours when we come to the cross in faith and surrender our weary and burdened lives to Jesus. That is a rest which he offers. The rest of our sins forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross on behalf of his people. The rest to be found is in learning from the revelation that Jesus alone imparts. It is not just mere imitation of Jesus. It is not just learning from his experience. But it is willing to be obedient to the things that Jesus is revealing to us. It is not just asking the question, what would Jesus do? It is looking at the scripture and saying, what is God telling and your willingness to obey it? That is what the focus there is. Here we say, learn from me is, people have said, oh, it's to imitate him. It's to learn from his experience. No, it is to learn from the things that he's revealing to you from day to day and from time to time. See, when you study the Bible, what happens is, you know, God progressively enlightens. The word becomes life to you. You understand the word better. You appreciate the word better. It talks to you. It speaks to you. It comes alive because you're encountering a living God. The word becomes alive because in the word you find God. And that is something progressive. It happens with the people who are willing to be disciplined, who are willing to sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary and not be bothered too much with the things of the world. You know, we lose out on so much by worrying and by thinking about so many things. But you know what Jesus says, Mary, you have chosen the good portion simply because she found rest, peace, hope, joy, comfort, encouragement in the portion, in the person that she had chosen. You know, the call is to take Jesus' yoke, take my yoke. That is very interesting. What does it say? It was to take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You know, we have created yokes for ourselves, and I want to just touch on it. You know, and brothers, don't feel offended as I speak. I like to speak to young couples, especially, because you're just starting life. I'm going to be 50 years of life. Don't reinvent the wheel. You know, as you go on in life, children come, and you know, remember one thing. In a crisis or in a situation, your first response gives away where your heart is. Your first response. When you're in a crisis, when you're expecting something, your first response will give away where your heart is. You know, we just so worried about how our children are going to go, because I often heard, in our, not only in our circles, we are often worried what our children, so we want the best for our children. But let me ask you, without pointing fingers at anyone, why can't you give your first five years of your child to study God's word? I, as a psychologist, and with a lot of studies to back it up, I can tell you, 
I've been telling this for years, and now studies have proved it beyond doubt. Children are not even ready to read till they're eight. Children cannot even, you know, you are pushing your child to do. Sweden is one of the best countries where children have the highest grades in math and science and reading and other things, and they don't even do those things till they're age 12. But you know what we do? The first thing, even before the child is born, is we want to, hopefully, we want to see that the child learns A, B, C, D, you know, multiplication tables till 12 and 60, you know, punish them to a point and prepare them for the world. And as they grow up, we ask them, why have they left the path, the ancient paths, and have walked to some new path? Why can't we give our children the first five years of our children, forget first five years, first three years of your child, you know, you teach them ABCD so that they can read Bible stories. You teach them, no, Jack and Jill went up the hill. Don't teach them Jack and Jill went up the hill. Tell them, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. Will you do that? Young, young people, I'm asking you. You're going to have children. Are you worried with school you're going to send your kids? Let me tell you, it'll come back to bite you. If your priorities are not right, it will come to bite you. Because you know what is what you're doing to your children? You're putting... You know, them under yoke which they're not prepared to carry. And even as our parents did to us, we are doing to our children most of the time. We are projecting what we think should be done. My friends, don't give your children to the world. It's not worth it. Give your children to God. Give them God so that at the end of the day, they will find a yoke which is easy and light to carry. You know what that yoke is? To trust God. To understand that, tell them from childhood, from the time they are in your womb, tell them that I have a God, your father and mother follows a God who can be trusted to be good, to be nice, to be kind. You know, a God who allows us to be adventurous. A God who is not safe, but who is good. Teach that to our children. Don't give them up to the world. Your education, you know, I always used to tell one thing. And I have changed, I have repented of it. I always used to say, son, you should remember one thing. What you have in here, nobody can take. What is in your hand, people can steal. So what is in here is your education and this and everything, you know. In your hand, what the money that you have, people can take. But I have changed that. Even what is in here, God can take it. It's just a stroke or just something called dementia. And in our times, it's called Alzheimer's. They won't even remember you. You want to give your children to that? You want to give your life for that? I'm not saying don't educate your children. Don't, don't, you know, don't encourage them to use the God-given abilities. But that is only second to the pursuit of God. Otherwise, you'll be putting them under yokes which they will not be able to wear. And I'll tell you as Christian, you have not been able to bear. And that is why we have so many people under depression, under such tiring circumstances that they do not have the strength anymore left 
to do the things of God. Give your children the right priority, my friends, and create the right priority for you. You know why? The yoke, this yoke is a yoke, first and foremost, is a yoke of discipleship. As I often love to say, Jesus doesn't call people to follow him. He calls them to come and die with him so that you and I will be able to rise again with him in the resurrected power, knowing life in its fullest. This yoke, first and foremost, is a yoke of discipleship. The yoke that brings you and I into an intimate relationship with our master. It is a yoke that binds us in a close relationship with the one who loves us. It's a yoke which strangely sets us us free and at rest. Jesus is not only the authoritative revealer of God to humans, he is also the humble servant of the Lord who gently, who deals gently with the weak. The yoke of discipleship may involve persecution, but it is easy, it's good and comfortable. His burden is light compared to the Lord's, Israel's religious leaders imposed on their disciples. What makes the difference is what sort of master you and I are serving. And let me tell you something, humans are sensing the chain that binds them and they want to be free from the tyranny of fear and violence, fear free from the terror of the unknown tomorrow. And the strategy of today is free from the bondage of even their own selves. We live in a world where people are scared to even look at the mirror because what they see in the mirror scares them. And I'm not joking. Go out into the world and you will see it. There are people who don't want to look in the mirror because it scares them. They're not just talking about an unknown tomorrow. We are talking about the present when even looking at the mirror is a scary thing. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As Norley says, my yoke fits so easily and my burden is light. Jesus is asking us to yoke ourselves with him. In that, he calls us to be his fellow workers, making the yoke easy and the burden light. You know what Jesus is doing when he says, take my yoke upon you? He is actually inviting you and me to join with him in sharing his yoke. Can you imagine the privilege that you have? I want to read this. J.H. Joveth states it beautifully. The fatal mistake for the believer is to seek to bear life's load in a single collar. God never intended a man to carry his burden alone. Christ therefore deals only in yokes. A yoke is a neck harness for two. The Lord himself pleads to be one of the two. He wants to share the labor of any galling task. The secret of peace and victory in the Christian life is found in putting off the taxing collar of self and accepting the master's relaxing collar. You know, when I think of this, I think of it like this. Can you imagine? There is, you know, my my uncles were farmers. And when I was growing up, I used to go and, you uh, you know, plow the fields with them during summer. And I loved doing it. And I can still remember the two oxen they would have with long horns. And my uncles would be 
you know, they would say, be careful. They, they can go, you know, they can harm you, they can hurt you. And I would run after them, and there would be a plow like this, and both of them would be, you know, tied to the, to the plow. And, you know, you hold it down. You have a certain way of holding it, and then you run with it, you know, as, the, as you get the oxen to move, or the horses to move here. You know, but that picture has always stuck with me in those muddy paddy fields. You know, I running behind those two oxen. But the strange thing is that, you know, when the oxen are going like this, they will, it almost looks like they're looking at each other and, you know, talking with each other. That is the picture that I have when Jesus calls us to, you know, take my yoke upon you. You know, it's the joy of, you know, this gentle, this, he is the revealer and the concealer of God to, to, to humans, to some he reveals, to some he can't. But he is the gentle, he is the humane, he is the kindest, he is the loving savior to those whom he has chosen to reveal. And he is, he is, his, you know, one of the collar of the yoke is on his neck while the other is on mine. And even as I am going along, you know, I can look at his face, I can talk to him, I can, I can find the comfort in his eyes. It's such a beautiful picture. You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to create some work for God. That is why I often say, if you feel compelled to do something, don't do it. There are many implications that can be brought out, but I want to just limit it today to the main points. But I want to tell you, God is not calling you to work for him. He is calling you to work with him. I want you to understand that. God is not calling you to work for him, but to work with him. So what becomes my responsibility is to discern by his spirit where he is working so that I can join him in his work, where he is inviting me to join him in his work. There is something more. There is something more. We should never forget as to why the yoke of Christ fits us so well. You know why? Because he, our creator, knows our caller's size. Because he, our creator, knows the size of our caller. In fact, he created us for himself. In coming back to God, we are then able to experience true freedom, meaning, and purpose in life. Because in coming to Christ, we come home. In coming to Christ, we come home. What we saw is God is the one who reveals and conceals. And he does that through the agency of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. But the amazing or the astonishing thing about him is to whom does he show mercy and to whom does he show judgment? It is to those who are dependent and eager to be taught he shows mercy. To those who think they have it all together, to them he assigns them to judgment. And to those he have shown mercy, he is inviting them, come unto me. Those who are heavy, you know, those who are weary and heavy laden. And he promises rest for them. So there's a rest given. And then he talks about a rest that we, you and I, need to find in doing what he reveals to us from day to day, from time to time. Be willing to obey him. And he promises us the yoke is easy, the burden is light, simply because he is wearing the other collar. 
Let me end this with a true story. The story is Courage to Begin Again by Ron Lee Davis in the you know, in that book, it says, it talks about this, this incident. The early years of the 19th century were troubled times in the German Confederation. Rumors of revolution and rioting had the federated government in panic. Clemens von Metternich, or whatever his name is, the chief statesman of the Confederation, ordered thousands of young men drafted into the army to guard the borders and put down internal revolts. Across the countryside, young men in uniform tramped off to unknown destiny. In one German village stood a grand old, grand stone-walled church with an ornately carved facade, beautiful stained glass, and a stately pipe organ. The organ was famed throughout the region for its beautiful, rich tone. One day, the aged caretaker of the church was interrupted during his chores by a knock on the great oak door of the sanctuary. He opened the door to find an young man in uniform on the steps. Sir, I have a favor to ask, the young soldier replied, began. Would you please permit me to play the organ for one hour? I'm sorry, young man, the caretaker replied. No one but our own organist is permitted to play the organ. But sir, I have heard so much about the organ of this church, and I have walked so many miles just to see it, just to play it for a single hour. The aged man paused, then shook his head sadly. Please, the soldier pleaded. My commander gave me 24-hour leave. In a few more days, we have to move to another province where the fighting is expected to be heavy. This may be the last chance in my life to play the organ. The caretaker reluctantly nodded. He swung the door open and beckoned the soldier in. Then he took a key from his pocket and held it out to the soldier. The organ is locked, he said. Here is the key. The soldiers took the key and unlocked the ornate cabinet of the organ. Then he began to play. A billow of majestic chords rolled from the great golden pipes of the organ. The caretaker stood transfixed as the glorious music washed over him, bringing tears to his eyes. He moved to one of the pews and sat down as if entranced. Within minutes, People from the village gathered at the church doorway and peered in. Removing their hats, the villagers stepped into the sanctuary and sat down to listen. Streams of beautiful music filled the sanctuary for one hour. Then the gifted fingers of the organist struck a final chord and lifted from the keyboard. The young man closed and locked the keyboard cabinet. As he stood and turned, he was surprised to see that the church had nearly filled with parishioners who had laid aside their chores to listen to his music. Humbly receiving their compliment, the young soldier walked down the center aisle to return the key to the caretaker. Thank you, the young man replied. The old man rose to his feet and took the key. Thank you, he answered, grasping the young soldier's gifted hands. Young man, that is the most beautiful music. These old years 
years have ever heard. What is your name? My name is Felix, replied the soldier, Felix Mendelssohn. The old caretaker's eyes widened as he realized whose hand he had grasped. The hands of the young man who, before he was 20 years old, had become one of the most celebrated composer on the European continent. That is Felix Mendelssohn. The old man's gaze followed the young soldier as he left the church and disappeared into the village street. To think, the old man wondered aloud, the master was here and I almost failed to give him the key. So it is with us. This afternoon, the master is here. God is with us. His grace envelops us because you hear his word today. If you give him the key to your heart, he can make unimaginably beautiful music in your life. Music that will make the world stop, listen, and wonder. The master is here and he's ready to transform us by his grace. He's ready to give us a new beginning. It is not only our duty, but our joy to give him the key to all that we are and have. Let's pray.